to having Christian voices. I'm Tom Logrie, and this is Between the Times, a broadcast series dedicated to presenting an Advent Christian assessment of ethics, politics, and culture today. This evening, we're going to be highlighting a couple items in the news. Uh, these are just kind of short blips that we do in this broadcast series, and I think it's useful to pick out things that we actually see coming across our table every day. So something that's popped up in the news today was the fact that the Iowa state legislature is prepared to pass a, a, a bill uh, banning abortions at the point once a fetal heartbeat is detected, so effectively at six weeks. And this is potentially going to pose a challenge to Roe v. Wade. So it's a it's a pretty significant development and honestly a bit of a heartening development given what appears to be kind of the cultural malaise just going on around us today. Um, but it shouldn't come as a complete surprise. There's been some shifting tides in our cultures and the opinions about abortion. In a uh, Washington Post article in on January 31st uh, of this year, Eugene Scott wrote that a Quinnipiac poll asked Americans whether they would support a ban on abortions after 20 weeks of pregnancy if it was enacted in their state. And he writes, nearly half, 49% of 18 to 34-year-olds say they wouldn't support it. And the poll also found that 35 to 49-year-olds were the only age group that supported the ban more, which is interesting because you'd almost suppose that the older generations would be against it. But in fact, we have younger generations who are becoming a little bit more aware of the dignity of life before birth. And But what I found interesting about this bill was that it was getting, it's getting closer and closer to recognizing the fact that the dignity of human life is not bound up in any particular capacity in terms of whether um, a, a human being has self-awareness, but that it's really rooted in the fundamental bi biological fact that they are human. Um, but interestingly, I think over throughout church history, we've kind of over the years kind of set us up for some of the problems that we face in the abortion debate by the ways in which we describe and understand the image of God. Uh, a lot of times when people talk about, you know, what is the image of God, they'll point to, well, it's the soul. Or they'll say it's the ability to reason to, you know, in a certain level of um, intellectual ability. But when you look at scripture, both of those things can come, they, they face some challenges. So on the issue of, well, we have a soul, um, as I've been Christians are well aware, when you look at scripture and you work at the, look at the word soul, the word for soul is nephish. And that's a word that's not exclusively um, used to describe humans, but actually applies to all creatures. So if that's the case, if that's what makes us special and sets us off limits for being killed, and, and if that's what really affords us our dignity, the fact that we have this nephish, 
then effectively all of us would have to be vegans. Maybe some of you are prepared to do that. I'm not prepared to do that. And I don't think there, there's a biblical basis for that. Uh, the Noahic covenant allows us to enjoy uh, some good barbecues. Um, but obviously trying to pin our dignity on the fact that we have a soul, it's not really the best grounding I think for trying to protect human dignity, the value of human life. And you run into the same problems with um, when you try to ascribe it to the fact that we have intellectual uh, capacity, because what happens when you have someone that uh, is less mentally developed? What, what's the difference between a newborn and a baby that's uh, just overdue by a few weeks. It's nine months and it's overdue by a few weeks. What, what difference does it make whether it's inside or outside of the womb? Um, what if someone's mentally handicapped? What if you're in a coma? Can we kill you then because your mind isn't at its fully functional level? Um, it's just a very, very slippery slope and it's not the best grounding for protecting human dignity, but it's what we intuitively often want to turn to because we figure these are the things that set us apart from the rest of the creation. But I think that the thing that's so beneficial about the Advent Christian perspective on this, and when I say Advent Christian perspective, I believe it's the biblical perspective, is, is that our value does not have to be um, found in something that's separated from our physical being, that in fact, the way that God has biologically created us is in its very essence the thing that makes us a value. Not that it's, it has intrinsic value, but it has extrinsic value in that God has said that in creating us in the way that he has, in our physicality, in our biology, he has done this so that we might be the image of God. And so you don't have to try to spin out, you know, you know, are you Einstein or, you know, it, it just comes down to the very fact that God has created us as human beings. And so the value of human life is found simply in the fact that you are biologically a human being. And so that should pretty much wipe abortion completely off the table. And obviously there's those that would disagree and they think, well, what about rape or incest? And I think that there's, you could get into that discussion about, you know, just the consistency of that. We won't get into that tonight. Um, but what I was interesting in drawing a connection tonight between was the fact of this issue of abortion that we see in the news, but then also the issue of transgenderism. I saw an interesting article come across. This is actually over in Great Britain. Um, and, the, and the spectator, uh, James Kirkup, has written an article uh, entitled, Why Are Some MPs Trying to Shut Down the Transgender Debate? And in it, he cites a really interesting statistic. It says, in 2009, 2010, the GIDS, I'm assuming that's some government um, program, I'm not familiar what it stands for, had 97 children referred, of whom 40 were listed as assigned female at birth. In 2016, 2017, the GIDS had 2016 children referred, of whom 1,400 were assigned female at birth. The total caseload for the service rose 2,078% in seven years. The number of assigned females being referred rose 3,500% in seven years. And then he asks, why have the numbers risen in this way? 
And obviously those on the other side of the transgender debate are trying to say, um, well, everyone was just in the closet. They didn't feel comfortable in coming out, but that's a really astronomical number or number. It's an incredible number that it seems to defy reason that truly all those people were in the closet. It seems to suggest that perhaps this gender dysphoria that people are experiencing and there's all, there's a variety of factors that feed into it, but perhaps some of it is rooted in some, it, now that it's been becoming socially acceptable, it's being seen as an outlet for whatever fears or anxieties that are kind of pervading our culture. Um, and I've been reading a book recently about this. It's called When Harry Became Sally, funny title, um, by Ryan T. T. Anderson. Ryan T. Anderson has done a lot on in the same-sex marriage debate. You might have seen him in the news before. Um, but in this book, he really is very thorough. I haven't finished it yet, but I wanted to pick out a couple quotes that he, he brings out that I think are pretty significant. He says in the book, people say that we live in a postmodern age that has rejected metaphysics. That's not quite true. We live in a postmodern age that promotes an alternative metaphysics. At the heart of the transgender moment are radical ideas about the human person, in particular that people are what they claim to be, regardless of contrary evidence. And then a little bit later he writes, the phrase sex assigned at birth, i.e. imposed from outside is now favored because it makes room for gender identity as the real basis of a person's sex. So what he's basically getting at here is that the metaphysics has shifted so that we no longer take for granted the fact that if someone is presenting in their physical body and their biology, the fact that they are male or female, we no longer take that as being indicative of their true gender. Instead, it's all psychology. It's all what is that person, how, how is that person identifying in their own self-evaluation, but they'll also look at the brain function saying, oh, well, that looks like the brain patterns that someone that male ha has, which, you know, it, you have to ask whether that's, that's even just a result of trying to adapt to that or whether that's really indicative of anything at all. But um, what it's, What's really getting at is the fact that it's the stripping away of our sense of identity from the physical body. Basically, the phys physical body itself is pretty much useless in trying to understand who you are as a person. Who you are as a person is pretty much all up here. The rest of you is completely irrelevant. It's irrelevant to your true essence. And in that way, it has an interesting parallel with earlier philosophies. If you've heard of Platonism or Gnosticism, uh, this was a philosophy that said that the body, physicality is bad and the spirit is good. And this is something that's actually influenced the church throughout history so that we've um, kind of, we've had this tendency to propagate this notion that well, I really just want to be free of this body and to be up flying in the sky with heaven and, and, and heaven with God. Um, that this body is really a nuisance and I want to be free of it. Or the sense that I, ha I have a body that 
my true essence is really my soul, this inner, inner thing. And so this is just kind of a covering. And obviously that sort of dualistic sort of notion, that distinction between self and body is against the Advent Christian perspective, which looks at things holistically. We, we see that we are, a com we are a composite of body and spirit as one whole. And, and throughout, when you look throughout Advent Christian history, there's always been this deep appreciation of God's physical creation, a recognition that God created us as physical creatures intentionally. That, you know, you see in Genesis, he looks over his creation, he calls it good. So that it's actually really blasphemous to call that which God has called good, to call that useless or bad or undesirable or insignificant because God clear, clearly thinks it's significant because he's created us to be this way, to be these physical creatures who aren't divided into parts as if one part, you know, our, our, our psychology is separated from our biology, um, but they're supposed to be united whole. And obviously we experience brokenness in this world where we can feel as though we can feel the separation within ourselves so that I can completely imagine someone feeling a disconnect from their body. But that's not the way things are supposed to be. It's not as though the mind is thus supposed to rule over the body, but it's that, that that's really kind of an indication that something is amiss, something is, is, is wrong um, because we've been created to be a united whole as human beings. And so it's really important at this time, I think, in our country and in this world that we continue to press the goodness of God's physical creation. So as we wait for the full redemption of this creation, as we wait for the resurrection and redemption of our bodies, we must continue to declare the goodness of God's creation purpose that he has intended for our physical being, even as we must wait between the times.